why they're not talking to women why there's no chicken which i grew up eating why they're just folk hyper focused on beef so i raised some seed money and i, I spoke to women across the nation to really validate and uncover an un- unmet need and you know once we had that unmet need that's when we went into the formulation to meet that need so it was very different and then at every step of the way we tested it with our core audience which is millennial women so what happened was and i always talk about this to my team is that we have to be retail ready day one the idea is to make sure that you have all the evidence in the world validation in the world because you get one shot with a buyer and when you go in front of him you say look this is what we have done this is why we know our product is not only great our product will really resonate with the intended audience but here's the proof Welcome to Winning at Work, the podcast for foodies, founders, and food and beverage professionals. You know, if you wanted to discover a new brand, a new food or beverage to try, there are literally thousands of companies out there. It is very difficult to do that. That's why we curate the different, the better, and the special brands here each and every week so you don't have to do the heavy lifting. If you're a founder and you're looking to connect with other like-minded executives, we make that very easy. And if you just work in the food and beverage industry and you're looking for fresh inspiration, we have that here in spades. This episode is sponsored by Temple. Congratulations, you're selling in retail. But the competition is fierce and your brand is surrounded by similar products. How will consumers find you? Let Temple show you an innovative retail sales solution. Click on the Attract Consumers link below. Need to attract great employees? Click on the Hire Now below and we'll show you how to use your culture to help you stand out. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. It's Tony. And continuing our series on building a retail brand, uh, perhaps you have seen, probably have seen this really uh, healthy and delicious uh, jerky snack, maybe at Ralph's or Sprouts, maybe you're at Giant, uh, Walmart, CVS, they have a big direct-to-consumer presence as well. Uh, today, I have the uh, driving force. When you talk to him today, you will see uh, a lot of energy behind this entrepreneur uh, of brave, good, kind, the president and founder, Prabhul Chaudhry. Prabhul, welcome in today. Oh, welcome. Thank you for that introduction. And hopefully I don't disappoint. I'm excited to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why did I say all that? Now you've got to come with the uh, with the content. Yeah, I'm just going to sit back and let you drive now. I've just set the whole thing up for you. And um, no, um, listen, I, I think uh, I was talking to some of my uh, co-workers and they, we were kind of looking at your, your packaging and looking at how you're really presenting this really I think what looks to be really tender, kind of these juicy jerky bites. And, you know, the first comment everyone made was, you know, I'm so used to jerky being dry. And I think that's what was so wonderful about, you know, how you've presented this product. But before we get into that, I just have to say this. When I think of brave, good, kind, the the image that conjures in thought to me is just something that's like bigger than oneself. Now, I don't know exactly how you came up with this, but I just have to say it's a 
it's a thought experiment. There's a lot there. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think that's by design as well as purpose. I think, you know, you always, the difference between brand and a product always is that, you know, as a brand, there's, there's a promise behind what you're trying to do, which is bigger than just the product. It's your mission that you're trying to live. It's the mission of inspiring a certain outcome. So when we started this company, we were very clear of what our you know mission is, what we are really trying to do. In a sense, we were really we were all of us, if you think about it, and our generation who is more and more in, in, in ground with what's happening with food systems and like the, the, the emergence of a lot of carbs and sugars in our system, which are obviously has a lot of health impact on our lives. We know that our food systems are broken. So our idea was. You know what can we do to create a, 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 a offering to our consumers and to the world where we can democratize protein-led foods, and you know who we are, who we want to really serve, and we'll get a lot uh, during our conversation. But we, our brands, is actually is is made for you know women in particular, and you know when you think about women, this all journey started when my daughter was ba- born. So Brave Good Kind, in, in a sense, was a you know, spark in my head, was inspired by my then five-year-old daughter on you know, you know, what values I want her to you know, imbibe in the crazy world we live in. Brave to live in this you know, unpredictable world, good and kind to herself, people around her, and the planet. So that is who we are serving, the women of, of today and women of tomorrow. And our bigger you know, reason to be is to you know, really help in constructing a new food system where, you know, there's a food access, there is, you know, you know, we lead by providing nourishing and protein led food that will really help feed uh, the population. As you know, by 2050, we'll be more than 10 billion people on this planet. And with all the things that are impacting food systems today, including climate change, you know, loss of agreeable land, you know, a lot of waste problem in the food systems, you know, we want to be part of that solution. So you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a bigger reason for us to be. There's a bigger re- We just don't want to be known because we make a delicious product. Our point was to create, start creating these offerings and food systems where we can really change how Americans and people across the world snack. And I think that's what we are committed to. You know, in consumers, they do want more than just food. They do want something more than just taking something off the shelf. They do want to understand who are the people, who are the ideas, what are they supporting, and can the money they, that they spend in retail or on your website, can it go to a greater good? I think that's the point that consumers are at. And one of the things that you have highlighted very well on your website is that you are celebrating the women around you. You touched on this to start with, but it's a, you know, all natural, no antibiotics, gluten-free, no added MSG, you know, less sugar, I think like 40% less sugar, uh, less fat. So you really are putting something out there that uh, is meeting a need. So if you were in store today sampling and someone came up to try your food for the very first time, Kind of walk us through, how would you describe this, what I'm calling almost like a jerky 2.0 or 3.0? Maybe you know better than me, because it seems like it's an evolution. 
Yeah, no, that's that that's a question I'm asked often. And you know, you know, generally I always, you know, start about saying, Hey, you don't have to be a dinosaur anymore to enjoy a tender jerky. <laughs> like and I, and you know, and or, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that really hits at home every time. Or I always would say, hey, try this and your dentist will thank you because you'll not break your teeth anymore. Yeah, it's, not, it's not like a so, hard candy, right? Exactly. So the, so the idea and, you know, our proposition is very simple. You know, we say, hey, you know, first, you know, this is a, a great healthy product, which is delicious. And I think if you look at the category and you look at what's going on, our options that are available in a grocery store, all healthy doesn't taste good. That is a huge problem from an adoption standpoint. And so what happens is you get this fantastic, phenomenal attribute laden, uh, laden kind of uh, snack and you say, oh, I'll try it, but it doesn't taste good. So it doesn't go get into your behavior. So what happens is that you'll try it one or two times and then you'll go back to your food that gives you comfort, which is full of carbs and, and full of sugar. And I think that's what happens. And if you look at the data as well, you know, nearly 80 to 90% of the category spent is in all carbs and sugar. You know, healthy really doesn't drive the category. Uh, and I think what we really wanted to do was create something which is healthy, made for whole, made from wholesome ingredient, but at the same time is delicious. Something that you can enjoy as a family and will, that can keep you full. Because, you know, you, we just don't want you to just keep eating it all the time because some foods make, make you hunger make you crave more our idea was to create something which will give you enough energy to carry through between the meals as americans we are snacking five to six times a day so what can we do to make sure that you know we have the ample energy and we're not crashing after really eating carbs and sugars so that is what was driving it so we always talk about saying hey now you can really have something healthy wholesome and something that you will love to share something that is delicious and you'll not feel bad about it. You know, as you, one of the things you mentioned, we even are not only targeting jerky because there's distinct advantages that our product has from other jerkies, which are full of beef, marketed only to men. And, you know, it's, 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 it's very dehydrated. So we definitely have advantages there, but we think bigger. We're saying, hey, we are challenging the paradigm of how you think about snacking. You know, when you are hungry, instead of grabbing a bag of potato chips, you know, you need to have our tender chicken bites because they have 70% less fat than a bag of potato chips. You know, if you're trying to think about granola bar, granola bar, if you know, has high sugar in it. Uh, so, you know, our whole purpose is to really change how people think about snacking from a platform perspective. And bear with me, like, you know, jerky is immediate opportunity we saw. There was an unmet need. That's why we started with the jerky as a brand. Brave Good Kind is committed to, you know, really innovating from different forms perspective. We have a, a very exciting pipeline. And, you know, we definitely plan to get into other categories as we continue to grow. Uh, and I think that's where it starts from being very fundamentally understanding who we are, who we want to serve, and what we are trying to change. You know, you, you brought a few things up there that consumers will look at the attributes that are being displayed, they'll try it. And if it's not a good product, they, if they don't like it, not only will they not come back to your product, but they might steer away from the category. And that's the challenge, right? Is when you stand out in the category, and you've got these other competitors that aren't as good, it affects um, the overall lift in the category. So 
Um, it's a doubly challenged role you're in as an entrepreneur. You're trying to uplift the category and you're trying to get those consumers into um, trial and then adoption. Exactly. You brought something else up too, uh, Probable, was that the the desire is to go back and eat those kind of comfort foods over and over and over. But the problem with eating a chip is that it truly does not signal to yourself that you're satisfied. And it's on, it's intentional. So you, you've really hit on something there because what you really want is something healthy that fills you up that you can then set aside. I think that is a, uh, it's a huge opportunity because most quote unquote snacks, they don't provide that. They're almost literally, they should be a category of junk food. I mean, exactly. if we're being, we're being honest, when I look back at your background, some of the early training you had uh, at Procter & Gamble in brand management, marketing, uh, media planning, and so on, and now you're entering, soon to be entering your fifth year at Brave Good Kind, I would love for you just to take us back to some of those early days when you had the product developed and you were reaching out to the retailers to start. Because there's many entrepreneurs and food manufacturers that maybe they started in direct-to-consumer. Maybe they started in food service. But they want to kind of be where you're at. So talk us through some of those early challenges and obstacles with the retailer. Yeah, yeah. I, I am often asked that question because within two years of launch, we are we became a national brand. We are in more than 5,000 stores. And the number one question I get from my fellow uh, you know, founders is like, how did you make that happen? And I think my answer is simple. It's not grounded in any kind of a training that I've received in an organization like Procter & Gamble, which I'm really thankful for. But it comes to two things. One is my background in sales of really understanding, you know, what you know, person you're talking to, what drives him. It's a basic, you know, simple human psychology of what he's looking for. Because a lot of times when you're trying to talk to somebody, you're trying to drive your own agenda. Instead of you really focus on, you know, saying, okay, what does he wants to see? What will make him successful in his role? Your, you, It becomes really easy for you to find a ground where you can really convince him or persuade him to even take a chance on you if you are especially an unknown brand. So that's number one. And the second thing is, you know, common sense, you know, which is very uncommon today. And I think, you know, just, yeah, you don't want to greenwash it. You have to be honest. You have to be authentic who you are. And I think that really helps you when you really try to understand why you are doing this. So a lot of times people have great products, but they're not very excited about it. And I think I always tell fellow founders is like, nobody can do a job, better job, sell through than you who, started a product, who believes in that product, who has that passion behind that product. And that coupled with my understanding of the landscape of, you know, what it needs to build a brand. So, you know, Procter Gamble gave me a lot of great opportunities to build a brand from scratch to a point where I really understood how everything works. What's the role of a broker versus a role of a retail buyer? You know, you know how much emphasis you have to provide on certain things, evidence and all that stuff. So if I really summarized, I think we, I never started with having a product which I thought could solve a problem and working it backwards to fit in consumers' life. What I did was what we really 
talk about is an insight-driven innovation where I actually first created some hypotheses when I looked at the jerky category, right? I started to look at jerky category. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Why are they just only talking to men? Why are they not talking to women? Why there's no chicken, which I grew up eating? Why they're just hyper-focused on beef? So I raised some seed money and I, I spoke to women across the nation to really validate and uncover an un- unmet need. And, you know, once we had that unmet need, that's when we went into the formulation to meet that need. So it was very different. And then at every step of the way, we tested it with our core audience, which is millennial women. So what happened was, and I always talk about this to my team, is that we have to be retail ready day one. And the idea is to make sure that you have all the evidence in the world, validation in the world, because you get one shot with a buyer. And when you go in front of him, you say, look, this is what we have done. This is why we know our product is not only great, our product will really resonate with the intended audience, but here's the proof. And, you know, one of my viewpoint always was saying, I am not asking you to replace me, replace, I'm not a replacement brand, that you take one brand that you already have, take it out and give me a chance. I will grow your category because I knew you know, there's not been a lot of innovation in the jerky category. Jerky category hasn't grown as much as other categories. So, for example, bars are 20 times the size of a jerky category because there are some really strong barriers that prevent a lot of people from coming to jerky. One is the bad rap, you know, bad reputation jerky always had. It was always a, like kind of a gas station brand. It's greasy. It is uh, a lot of people think it's for, con- you know, construction workers or truck drivers. So that image has really stopped you know, was a big impediment or a barrier in its growth. And then it was just talking to a certain segment and it was it was not democratized. So I go to people and say, hey, I understand as a buyer, your the goal, what will make you successful is how you really drive and grow your category. And I am one of the brands that I'm saying that we will do that for you. Here's the proof why. So it was constructed in a way where when we reached a stage when we really had to pitch, our packaging was validated. Our positioning was validated. We had all the data in the world and all the data in the world in a way where we can showcase that why what we are saying will come to, uh, will be true. And interestingly, uh, and uh, it might be only that jerky as a category, most of the jerky uh, buyers are women. So when I say, hey, there's no brand who's talking to women, they don't nod their head. Like, oh my God, it's high time. Why is not that happening? Like, And you know, so you... You build a story for them. You understand your audience. Yeah. You said something though. And I do think many brands go into the buyer as we are going to be the replacement for the bottom third. Like let us compete against your non-performers or the ones that are struggling. And let's see if we're better. You took a different approach. Correct. 100%. And, And again, if I were... To, if I had just a beef jerky, you know, no matter no matter how much good my product would have been, I I just couldn't have broken in as fast as as we could because you know there's nothing differentiated about it. There are thousands of people who make beef jerky, so the so and it's not even chicken jerky because there was no chicken jerky almost in the category. I think the idea was to connecting the dots, providing the evidence, and providing like why there's a whole lot of you know, new consumers that you can unlock, you can drive to the category that the buyers were like, this is what I need for growth. 
And if you align that sentiment with what they're looking for, you know, you'll pick up more traction than just saying, we are just a brand, give us a chance. I was hell-bent upon proving that we belong there. You need us there. Don't miss that opportunity instead of saying, give us a chance. Because I also know that sometimes, no matter how good everything is, it sometimes it just takes time. There are places that we've gotten within two months of pitching first time. And there are places that we're still trying two years in. The timing is a big factor into it. So I was ready for being patient. But I never wavered from my approach or my belief in my product and my positioning. And when, you know, buyers who took a chance on us, early buyers who took a chance on us, they started to see, it started to create this halo effect where we're like, oh, you know, now the point is I go to uh, folks and I said, hey, we are in so many big retailers that you named previously. We are about to get into fresh market. We are about to get into Meyer, And now everybody has a FOMO. They're saying, oh my God, we need to at least look at this brand because they're, they're really making moves. Now that doesn't make our life is easier. Like getting, I always say getting onto the shelf is very difficult. Staying in shelf is whole different ball game altogether from a complexity standpoint. So we are, we still have a lot of headwinds that we are facing, but I think, you know, you know, common sense and, you know, really believing in what you're doing and, you know, having evidence behind it, having a lot of customer traction and resonance behind it really helps. Probably you said something and it was, uh, I thought it was pretty profound. It was that you were going to show them how to grow the category. And I think that's what every food entrepreneur needs to be looking at when they're looking at either their product or maybe they're going into innovation or any kind of a line extension. Are you just going along trying to carve out a small niche or in your case, you identified a pretty significant obstacle. You saw, really, you found this white space where women were not coming into the category. And you were able to build. Now, you, I think that's a, I think once you hear it, it sounds like common sense, doesn't it? That's one of those, <laughs> it's like, well, why didn't I think of that? Or, you know, yeah. because obviously this has been in this way in the category now for years. So I think another reason, Tony, on this also is like people are enamored by this saying, hey, I have a brand. I just need to go to get to uh, the, a store or a retailer uh, and that'd be great. I think one of the things that we have to really normalize is that brands need retailers, absolutely. But retailers also need good, sustainable partners who are bringing something different to the table. And I think we always forget that. And we always think that only retailers have leverage. There are times when you have to say no to a retailer uh, because it, it doesn't fit well. So I think really understanding the fit, understanding what being comfortable with what value you're bringing to the table. And if a retailer doesn't understand that, you know, that's okay. There are other retailers that you can go to and you always are persistent and come back to uh, to that. So I'll give you an example. There's a big retailer in Southeast and we, we, are, we, we have had conversations with them. We believed in our product because we had all the, you know, data, insight and evidence that our product is delicious. Uh, you know, people love our product what it stands for, uh, et cetera. And uh, we went to the buyer, our broker went to the buyer and the buyer was like, 
you know, we tasted the product, the product is not good. Now, that was like, like, I just couldn't fathom that. I said, I have never heard that in my, you know, two, three years of, you know, really working this product. And we've done sampling everywhere and there are thousands and, you know, thousands and dare I say, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Millions. I know you wanted but, to say millions. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to say million, but you know, all right, I'll just say <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people have tasted our product, and you know, you know, I never somebody said that this product is you know not good at all. So again, you might not like the product, but just saying this product is not good, you know, I don't know what the personal bias of the buyer was, but it is okay. So you know, we we said you know if you don't like it, you know, absolutely fine. We we will maybe improve on our product, or you know maybe we try in the next uh, you know in in the next cycle, which is a okay. Uh, I think you know you just need to you know you don't need to get everybody. I always say you need to get you know ample amount of people to believe in you, and then market is a great equalizer. If your product stack can stand on itself, it has the attribute consumers love it. You know at some point in time you'll continue to see the growth, and the retailers who are skeptical or do not believe in it you convert them into believers so you do not uh, you know you know you do not take no for an answer you also don't get deterred by the obstacles or the you know setbacks that you get but isn't it also true that not every product is designed with the palette of the buyer in mind so wouldn't you want to do a little more research and say well this person could be out of our our demographic. And by the way, the fact that you don't like the taste of it is irrelevant. <laughs> no, and and that's true. I think we, we we tell this in the nicest way possible. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But if you think about it, like a lot of buyers have their biases. They make they're ultimately making the decision. Yeah. Uh and you know, even though, you know, we clearly tell them that this is for a millennial women, you know, they judge the product for what it is. So some buyers who are very progressive, they say, hey, I don't like it, but I know who is this for. Let's, you know, let's give you a it. chance. And, and and they get it. And again, there are different kinds of buyer. My point being, it is okay to, you know, hear no or negative feedback about a product as you're trying to build. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, what I always strive for is to, how do I get unshakable trust in what I'm doing? Unshakable trust in what my product can do. And if you think about anybody who's envisioning the future, you cannot deter, get deterred by naysayers, which, you know, people just don't like change. The people who are in jerky category, for example, they have grown up with, you know, beef jerky as its mainstay. And they say there's nothing that can beat what they have, which is absolutely fine. Also, if you think about it as a new brand, you know, you know, going with a new brand is risky. A lot of people are saying, hey, my category is already down or has been plateaued over the last few years. I just want to keep the momentum. I don't want to get to somebody else where I further continue to erode, you know, what the volumes that I already have. So for buyers also, it's not an easy choice. But I think the question is how compelling you are, how, per how persuasive you are, and how you get someone to take a chance on you. Okay, so you bring up an excellent point. And I just... I can't help like the salesperson in me when I would hear a buyer saying this and you know, you've got a home run. Don't you just want to say, let us come in and do a sampling this weekend and we'll have a palette or whatever your quantities are. And you just see for yourself, right? I mean, that's, I know that's in the back of your mind. So 
let's talk about, let's shift as we kind of wrap up our final segment here on the podcast, because you and I could obviously talk for quite a much longer time and we'll probably have to do a part two, maybe a live <laughs> stream. We'll have to get into more. Yeah, we've just kind of hitting the surface here with you. But when you think about getting the product to move off the shelf, just like you say, it's very difficult to get doors, activate doors, get it on the shelf, but now you got to get it off. So you're looking at packaging, brand messaging, your position on shelf, perhaps the point of sale materials. You mentioned sampling, you've got promotions, you've got ambassadors, all these different techniques over the course of your time at Procter & Gamble and now here almost five years. Tell us some of your learnings. What seems to work best in your opinion? Yeah, no, and again, it's it's a it's a very loaded question. I know it is. So yeah, it's it, and it's it's not a straight line answer. So first of all, I would say like it, there are different paths to success. Like my path may not resonate with your listeners. You know, it might be n is equal to one, maybe, but it is a path. I always think about is the first thing that you really have to do when you are, you know, leading a business, starting a business is to really get to a point where you understand and make a determination whether you are uh, building a startup or you're building a small business. I think that's a fundamental question everybody has to understand because everything that you do after that will will be based on, you know, okay, what you're that. in. Yes. Yeah, so, so if you are building a small business, for example, your parameter is how do I just make sure that I have a cash flow positive? So your decisions will be based off that. If you're building a startup and you're trying, you have to understand that there is a lot that you have to put in initially to build the fundamentals so that you can get to a point where you can see that hockey stick growth. So a lot of founders, in my opinion, they'd say, oh, no, 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 no. They confuse small business with scrappy. So by scrappy means that you have to really control your resources so that you can invest in a way where you can chase that hockey stick. Whereas a small business is, I have a, I have, I, I, I have a product in two uh, places. I will go to three, I'll go to four, but I just want to make sure I have enough cash to continue to survive year on, you know, year on year or month on one, whatever. In startup, you will say, I'm in 10, I need to go to 50, I need to go to 1,000 in a small um, um, small period of time so those two are very different ways to think about it and how to how to trigger uh, they, there's a different future exactly exactly so so a lot of people don't think about it so okay. the getting clarity on that really helps you really understand so for for your example we're talking startup now correct so if you are thinking about startup i think you know one of the you know learnings i've had is that you know you really have to validate, you know, the positioning of your product, who are you are going after. And, you know, you know, once you do that, you then start making choices in terms of saying, okay, how do I can generate demand, generate awareness in a way, in a most scrappy way uh, to make sure that I can really drive the, the consumers to look for this brand. You know, because, you know, how do the world consumers find it? So when I told you, you know, a little time back that we started very with very insight who our target audience is, you know, it was really inspired by a millennial women. We did not stop there. We also, while we were talking to them about their needs and aspirations, we also asked them, where do they find their information? Where are they 
you know, buying their product, you know, what, what is important to them from an attribute perspective. So understanding your core target audience becomes really important as you then make design choices, you make your communication choices, and so on and so forth. So I think the biggest thing that I've I would, you know, advise any founder is to really understand who their target audience is. Why would they absolutely become a super fan of your product? Why would they buy the product in the first place? And will they come keep coming back again and again and again to buy it? And all your decisions are based on that. I always believe a lot of founders get to a point where they have an excellent product, but th- those product products don't scale. Just because they've not done enough work, uh, you know, what is the place of the product in consumer's life? So the hero as, at all point in time, yes. and this is my biggest advice, has to be the consumer you're serving. Your product yes. cannot be hero. And I can't tell you how many times I talk to marketing founders and entrepreneurs. But that is marketing is, 101. It, you nailed your ideal customer profile. Yes, but a lot of most of the founders don't think that way. Most of the founders, if you think about it, are accidental entrepreneurs. They have a great product. Somebody's their friends and families, and you know, you know, would say, "Hey, why don't you launch it? It's a great product. Go to Shark Tank." So that's their journey. This they they start. And again, I'm not saying anything wrong about it. I'm just saying if more and more people really focus on understanding who you are serving, product is a is a vehicle through which you serve your consumers and a lot of people don't pay enough attention to it so understanding your audience and you know that will really help you make a lot of choices on shelf off shelf because then you also have to start thinking about you know the the consumer uh, life cycle you know how do you you know, really make consumers aware of your journey get to a consideration point where they're considering your brand when they have other choices uh, for snacks, you have you have jerky, other jerky snacks. You have bag of potato chips and other snacks. Why will they want it? And then how do you drive them to conversion? So I think more so also you have to be omni-channel. Are you present wherever consumers, uh, you know, raise their hand? So I'll give you an example. When I was on this journey and even my seed investors were, hey, let's just launch in Northeast and take it from there. And I reminded them that, no, we are a startup. We need to go across and find where the consumers are and i really said i'll go across the nation which is very counterintuitive with what everybody will tell you and th- that, that really paid true. off most people will tell you to go by state or region and that paid off because west really opened up before everything else started opening up in the west consumers were more experimentative they were early adopters on new things that were happening and we you know one of the biggest client we Within like six months of launch, we got in was Sprouts. Sprouts said, we love your brand. Our consumers love it. We believe in you. And they gave us a national distribution. So what I'm trying to say is sometimes you really have to question traditional thinking. There are a lot of experts as a founder you will meet. But at the end of the day, you are responsible for your vision. You're responsible on the belief that you have in your product, in your brand. And you make a decision what feels right to you. And I tell everybody, like, listen to the experts, but make your own decisions because you know in your gut what will work. And then if it doesn't work, you have to be flexible enough to pivot. But you really have to listen to your gut because logic sometimes will fail because you're building a future that nobody knows. So, you know, chase your your dreams, chase what you think is right, but do it in a way where it's, it's not 
it's it's calculated risk like i said like you can't pursue a strategy which is outrageous but you believe in it more power to you but it should not be crippling if that doesn't work so you always need to figure out what's the calculated risk there's always a lot of value to test and learns we do a lot of test and learn every every day every week there are things 90% of the things never work but we learn a lot and we get stronger every time we do it and that's all because of our strong fundamentals of what we are trying to do and how we want to approach being very nimble you know i think the reason when i asked that question i wanted to see where you would go with that and you're right it was a loaded question because you can't just simply answer well point of sale worked or sampling strategy work you have to go back and understand the hero you have to understand where that consumer is shopping, where do they go to get their information? So for example, in your case with women, you may have found that there were groups on Facebook where there were like-minded women that came together and oh, by the way, product ideas were thrown out for problems or this, that, and the other. And so suddenly an in-store strategy may not have been as effective as say a unique social strategy on Facebook targeting those groups. So I, exactly. th- I think that's the journey that they have to go through is truly understanding where that he- hero goes to get their information. And then you have to be sure you're there. 100%. And I can't tell you how many times founders, I'll ask them, the first question I ask is like, who is the core consumer of your product? And they'll say everybody. And then I, you know like, that that just trouble. Like, you're like, in trouble. I, I, as as a brand aficionado, as a, as a person who has lived his life, you know, chasing the you know uh, consumer insights and unicorns, you you just get flabbergasted. You're like, that's that's not true. Let me tell you, you can't do that. And I think I think that's some that realization and having that frank conversation become really important because you can't be everything to everybody. You have to really figure out like who is your core audience. And I'll give you an example. We we still are super supremely focused on millennial women as a target audience, and that will not change in the for unforeseen you know foreseeable future. But along the way, we have realized that kids love our product, so kids now have become a secondary target. A lot of picky parents or picky eaters will write to us every week, and they say like, "Oh my God, the product is awesome! My picky eaters love protein, and we love giving this to him because we know it's a clean product." So then again, my part, my point being that you, as a as a startup, as an entrepreneur, you have to be very flexible. You'll say, okay, I'm doing everything to focus on millennial women, but okay, what do can I do to you know to without going a completely different route? In a, being adjacent to that, I can create strategies where I can target parents because you know these parents are looking for you know you know high protein solution for their kids, which they don't see the, that in the market because they don't want to give them chips every day granola bar every day because we are more cognizant of what we are putting into our bodies and now we do things where we are now focusing on and that's the reason we actually introduced bars in the first place so bites was our original configuration which was towards millennial women and when we saw so much kind of a wave of support from parents we said let's release a small 0.8 ounce bar which will satisfy them and then we opened another segment of business but it was all thoughtful we were not you know, do extending ourselves. We were just, you know, just creating a different experience, uh, but not going off tangent. Probably, I think there's so much more here for us to talk about, <laughs> but we've run out of time. I know. 
Yeah, what no, I, 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 so as you can said, we can spend hours and hours on this, but as I said, like you know, we should definitely follow up and do something as a follow up. But I really appreciate all your thoughtful questions. Well, thank you, and I appreciate you taking time out because, as any good entrepreneur does, when a crisis arrives, they get on the road and they go solve their problems, and you're in the middle of just you know operationally things come up. So I appreciate your your flexibility and. Um, it's been great to learn more just about your your mindset. I think that's what I really hope people have walked away from today is there's a mindset here that you have and it's kind of your guiding principle that you're using uh, through your uh, innovation. Yeah. Platform. yeah, the only thing I would say is 100% and I think it's, it's oxymoron when people from outside think about it. But you have to be consistent on what you believe in, in in terms of your principle, but at the same time, flexible to new ideas and what's happening in the marketplace dynamically because a lot of things change. So you can think about it as a conflict, but I think you as an entrepreneur, you just have to balance it, how you're consistent fundamentally of what you believe in and what you're trying to do while navigating what's happening um, outside. So I think that's it's not easy. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, I, I fail all the time, uh, but, you know, you just have to be resilient. And I think one characteristic that I would say to your listeners would be that resilience is a key. You you can't give up because there's a lot dependent on you. People are looking at you, whether people, your employees or your family. So, you know, you know, you just have to believe in what you're doing and you continue to, you know, you know, be resilient and you continue to fight it through. And, you know, that's when, you know, great things happen. And, you know, at Bravewood Kind, we're determined to doing some great things. Great way to finish. We will continue this conversation, whether it be another podcast or a live stream. I can promise you this has been fantastic. Prabhu, thank you so much for joining us today at Winning at Work. Thank you very much.